Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, welcome to another episode of Gibbo's Corner. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined as ever by John Gibson. It's been an interesting few weeks on and off the pitch, so we're here to bring you another hour or so of Newcastle United nostalgia. Got that word right, I was fearful I was going to pronounce it wrong, but we have delved in to a lot of ideas, John, to yep. uh, see what the next episode would be. We've obviously covered Bob Monker in the last episode, Willie McFall before that. Plenty of Newcastle legends we haven't covered, but we decided that we'd do something a little bit different. Mm. And I laid out the task for you to pick your best Newcastle United eleven with three substitutes made up of two players from uh, each decade from the 1950s. Correct, correct. So you've seen and covered most of those players. Obviously, yeah. 50s, you were a, a little... Fan, a but fan, but I've seen yeah. them all. I've seen all of them, yes. So you were the perfect person to pick this team. Um, and so I'll just relay the rules. It's two players from each decade from the 50s. So um, plenty of players to choose from. We'll start with the goalkeeper. Yeah. You've picked Shea Given, but... It was a close one thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, the interesting thing was it was only being able to have two from each decade because it meant I had to fiddle with some people and put them into a second decade, etc. And a few obvious choices that I would love to have played, I can't because I've got too many players from an era. So it was excellent. On the goalkeeping situation, for example, uh, one of Newcastle's great strengths when they won the cup three times in five years in the early 50s was the two goalkeepers they had at that time uh, which was Jack Faber then 51 and Ronnie Simpson in 52 and 55 and apart from watching him as a fan uh, Jackie Milburn became a, a very very close mate of mine we, we wrote a lot of books together etc etc and he always said they were blessed with the keepers they had and he, he went for Jack Faber as the best goalkeeper he had ever played with and if you remember that he also played with England when they had Bert Williams and all the great keepers from that era that was some uh, platitude and he was an amazing guy because he was mad as a box of frogs there's no question Big Jack mad as a box of frogs I got to know him very very well afterwards as well when I, when I was a journalist and um, I used to see him when I went away with Gateshead and played at uh, non-league grounds and he was he was there. Um, the funny thing about it, he was a complete joker as a guy. For example, Newcastle travelled everywhere in those days by train from the central station that had the luxury uh, compartment on the back of it of a train just for them and away they went and they used to meet on the platform with all the players and he used to turn his coat collar up and take his goalkeeper's hat out and pull a muffler around his neck and go begging to, to punt us on the on the station platform asking them penny for, for penny governor for a cup of tea and all and got great laughs with the team and because they didn't know until he pulled the cap up that it was the fans that it was Jack Faber uh, Yet for all this lovable guy, socially, he was a perfectionist as a goalkeeper. Uh, the interesting thing in his days, um, 
used to want to work on angles uh, during training. And he used to stay behind after ordinary training and, and get Jackie to stay behind with him as, as a striker. An amazing way of doing it, he used to tie a rope around one of his goalposts and give the other end to Jackie Milburn and tell him to get away and get the ball and run in at an angle on goal. And he was able to work out because of the rope which angle the guy's coming in at and where, where he should stand to have the best chance of saving the shot. Now, very primitive, but that's the way training was. And then in days when there wasn't a lot put into tactics and the deep thinkers of today, that was revolutionary. And, um, it w and Jackie Milburn said, you know what? The fans didn't realise how good he was because every ball seemed to come into his chest from the save but that's because of the angles he did with this rope with Jackie that he knew exactly where to stand and where the, where the shot would come and uh, the guy had been a, a copper during the Second World War and um, he used to go down to Market Street Police Station uh, in Newcastle to get the white gloves that policemen used to wear they used to be on point duty then instead of having the uh, the red, amber and green lights you were on point duty and they wore white gloves for the point duty. He used to go and get a pair which he then wore during a match because you know everybody's got these massive gloves now. Not in those days, they just didn't have gloves or he wore the white goal, uh, policeman's gloves that was directing traffic. And if you notice some of the shots in the 51 Cup final, he's got a pair of white gloves on. Uh, that was his way of dealing with it. He was a wonderful wonderful keeper coming to the end of his career he signed for Newcastle very late in life he was coming to the end of his career and he was out tragically after the 51 cup final and the next guy around was Ronnie Simpson who was a totally different goalkeeper to Jack Fairbrother Jack Fairbrother was methodical worked all the angles etc etc Simpson was more a reflex keeper he was skinny like a spider um, he, he was, uh, he saved as many shots with his feet as he, as he did with his hands. Very, very lightweight. An incredible career when you think about it. Think of this. He started off by playing in the Scottish League for Queen's Park aged 14 years and 304 days. When he made his debut in Scotland, he was a 14-year-old goalkeeper. And, and then he'd become the oldest deputant international goalkeeper when he made his Scotland debut at the age of 36 and 196 days. So he went from being 14 in the team to being 36 when he made his Scottish debut and of course long after he played for Newcastle he, uh, he won the European Cup as, as Celtics goalkeeper fabulous fabulous guy uh, I last saw him down here in fe early February 2004 looking absolutely magnificent he came down, come across and said, Gibbo, how are you? Ronnie, I said, yeah, I remember. Yeah, you don't look much different from when I was watching you. And um, it was Bob Stoker's funeral. And he came down for Bob's funeral, looked absolutely immaculate. And two months later, he was dead. Um, and a, a big loss, as they all were. And while I read Fairbrother and Simpson as good as most that's been around, for me, there was one person that actually topped 
both of them, and that was Shea Given, who uh, was absolutely exceptional. I've put him in the noughties, the 2000s, for my two from each decade. Um, I mean, you've got to remember with Shea Given, he only fell 34 matches short of breaking the club's all-time appearance record, ironically held by another goalkeeper from the Edwardian era when they won the league all the time and appeared in every cup final virtually. And that was Jimmy Lawrence, who um, who played 496 times for Newcastle. Unbelievable. Both sides of the First World War. And Shea Given played 462, which was quite, quite exceptional. He was a shot stopper. He was more like Simpson than like Schmeichel. He was a shot stopper, wasn't tall, was a six footer, but not tall for a goalkeeper. And so on crosses, if it was a crowded penalty area, he had problems. But reflexes, his ability to save was second to none. Always known, and one of the nicest guys you could wish to meet, uh, the nearly man as Newcastle were at the time. They always got the semi-finals or finals of the cup, but ended up winning nothing. Um, and he was never able to live down with Alan Shearer and all the lads that said he was the only Irishman, you know, that had no idea where Dublin was, <laughs> which is when we played at Coventry, if you remember, Dion Dublin was standing behind him uh, when he got the ball, picked it up, looked where to throw it out, dropped it at his feet to move it and kick it, and Dion Dublin just nipped round, took it off him and stuck the ball in the back, and then it was a goal against him. And uh, so he became known as the, the only Irishman that doesn't know where Dublin is. Obviously, yeah, played in Newcastle, like you mentioned there, finals as well. Um, yep. Not European finals, unfortunately, but <laughs> um, one of the things I think do does stand out about Shea Given was the latter years, and he would have happily stayed at Newcastle United for the rest of his career if they'd just shown a little bit of ambition, if he thought they were going to win something. Yeah. Um, and I think for many, that the final straw for him was probably, was it 6-0 against Liverpool? Yeah. And he was still man of the match. And there's a few um, comparisons, shall we say, to Carl Darlow and Martin Dubravka in that sense over the last couple of seasons where they've had to pull off save after save after save, still lost by two, three, four goals, and are still man of the match. Yeah, um, I was at that game and it was apparent, you know, he, he was superb. He was absolutely superb. But you could tell as the game went on from his body language, he was getting more sick and more sick and more sick. And when you consider how long he's been here uh, at that time, um, he just knew we weren't going to win something. And he thought, well, I'm going backwards. I've got to sort of get away and, and try to have a career somewhere else. There's absolutely no question that if he had been shown any encouragement, and I'm not talking about contracts, I'm talking about on the field of play, like there's an improvement coming, he would have stayed and seen out his time and he would have beaten Jimmy Lawrence's record and we would have had Shea given as the longest server and Alan Shearer as the top goal scorer and that would have been deserved. And by the way, just to mention Dubrovnik and um, Darlow, who have done superb well and been on Sally's this season, they should be so lucky as to be held when they retire in the same esteem as Shea given. Perhaps they will, but they've got a long way to go before they've earned that. 462 appearances um, and also I think he's got the most European appearances as yep. well for Newcastle yep yeah. Like you say what stood out was just his his, his shot stopping ability I always remember there was one great say I think Titus Bramble headed it towards his own goal 
shock. Yeah, he sometimes and, uh, did that, yeah. And, and given that a change direction ever so quickly, and it was a superb save. You'll find it on YouTube and, on, you know, the, the show reels that are on there. But he was, and the other thing as well, he had Steve Harper breathing down his neck as well. And, yes, he did. And Steve Harper, a very good goalkeeper. Shea Given, though, managed to keep him out of the side yeah. for, the, for the, the majority of the, the, those two battling, which says a lot about the standard that Shea Given was because you did have someone as good as Harper and knocking on the door consistently. And somebody that deserves a mention when I was on about uh, Fairbrother and Simpson there that came along from that era and served Newcastle well was Tim Cruel as well, of course. And at one time they were, they were all lay together, which was quite phenomenal. Um, but Shea Given was good enough to have kept everybody out of the Newcastle side. Uh, and he had to be because he was a reflex keeper. He wasn't a come for uh, balls floating the box keeper, uh, but quite exceptional. And I think it was our privilege to see him play for the vast majority of his career here. Definitely. And I guess just finally on given, there's no uh, higher sign of how, how high he's held in regard, uh, you know, when he is in Alan Shearer's kind of inner circle, of, uh, as you say, you know, every yes, time they, they play golf and what have you still today. And, you know, when Shearer holds you in such high esteem, you know you've done something good for Newcastle United. Oh, there, there's no question. Two of the greatest players we had. And as I as I said, it would have been very apt from my point of view if Given had held appearance record of all time and Shearer's got the goal scoring record of all time. That would have been perfect. And I sometimes wonder if deep down inside, Given thinks, if I'd stayed, I would have got that record and that might have been something to retire with. Uh, and I'm sure from... Shearer's point of view, when he come to Newcastle instead of to Man United where he could have won a box load of uh, medals, the one thing he was determined, and he won no medals here, the one thing he was determined to do was take the goal scoring record so he could walk away and say, there you are, there's my place in history. That for me should have been Shea Given's place as well. Was Shea Given the best thing Kenny Daglish did for Newcastle United? Well, he didn't do a lot of things for Newcastle United. <laughs> he, he did a lot of things while he was here where we got rid of uh, the entertainers were beautifully dismantled. But um, yes, I, I, I think that uh, it was. There's always got to be the exception. And for every time we talk about one of the entertainers being sold by Dalglish, he'll be able to say, but, uh, but I give you a share given. Well, on that, I guess as we get into the rest of your team, I imagine the two other signings that he's held for that being Alberto Solano and Gary Speed, they probably came close to being chosen in, in, in your first 11. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, they were three outstanding players in my Jove. What would we give for those three today? Uh, without a shadow of doubt, Nobby was a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful um, attacker, silky. And, and uh, Gary Speed had everything. Uh, apart from pace and he didn't need pace because the pace was in his brain uh, but a wonderful header of the ball uh, a wonderful um, attitude to the game uh, terrific I mean as a kid he won he won the championship with Leeds United uh, this was a good good player but yes yeah in a minute you're going to get me to revise all my opinion of <laughs> Kenny Dalglish and tell everybody what a wonderful no no there's, a, there's, there's an episode there already covered the Kenny Dalglish yes, which is a brilliant episode actually one of my most favourite. You can head over to our podcast channels and find that. So that is Shea Given. And what era are we putting them in? The 2000s? 2000s. 2000s right there. We 
have it. Um, on to the right back then. Well, and you've picked. Yeah, my two full backs, if I go with full backs, were the two full backs that you could never move from each other, which is Craig and Clock, David Craig van Clock. Um, and for consistency, very different players. Uh, David Craig would fit into any side now magnificently because he was a silky smooth attacker in an age where fullbacks were literally that first and foremost. They were defenders, they weren't attackers. But he could come out with the ball and was wonderful ability. Frank Clark was the exact opposite. If he'd come out with the ball and went anywhere near the halfway line, never mind over the halfway line, to have a nosebleed. That wasn't his game. But no, he stayed on his feet. He very rarely tackled on the floor. He had huge ability to read the game and play the game well. And they were our fullback through the great Joe Harvey years of the 60s and the 70s, there were kids just coming in, establishing themselves in the team when the first Joe Harvey side was built that won promotion in the second division champions in, in 65. By 69, they were absolutely established as the two fullbacks uh, for the European First Cup when they won it. And then there was the 74 FA Cup final side uh, and of course after Joe left there was a 76 League Cup final uh, Clark played in both of those of course David Craig would have played in both of those but was injured and if anything stopped David Craig's career uh, from being as fulsome as it deserved to be it was the fact that he was always bothered by hamstring injuries. He was plagued by hamstring injuries, which kept him out of the two Wembley finals and was a, a great, great shame because it robbed Newcastle and it also robbed Davy of um, many, many more games that he, that he ought to have had. I mean, Newcastle with fullbacks haven't necessarily always been that well off. If you go back into the mists of time, which we aren't doing, there was people like Bill McCracken who changed the offside law. That's how good he was uh, at doing his job uh, at the beginning of the uh, 20th century. And there was Frank Hudspeth, who was a left back from way, way back um, in the 20s when, when they won the Cup. More recent times, to, to give consideration to was Alan Kennedy who went on and achieved everything he achieved with Liverpool Jose Enrique the, uh, the, the, who went to Liverpool in the same way as Kennedy did and of course Bez from the Entertainers John Beresford from the Entertainers who was uh, and has remained a wonderful, wonderful character um, he joined us from Portsmouth from Jim Smith and he was due to go to Liverpool uh, and he was signing for Liverpool and um, he went over to Liverpool to have his medical and in the meantime Kevin Keegan was saying to Terry Mack this Bez you know a fancy Bez a good player and you know we would like him etc and he said hey but he's, he's away over at Anfield when Anfield had a medical, and lo and behold, Liverpool come up with some knee prob a problem that Bez didn't know existed. And Bez believes to this day that the manager was told 
the board's had second thoughts about signing this guy, he's going to fail the medical. Uh, and he did fail the medical and he come out and he was decimated. Uh, I think KK heard the situation, got on the phone, sorry, he got on the phone to Jim Smith and said, if anything happens with Bez, I'm interested. He said, he's at Liverpool. I know, but I'm interested. So all of a sudden, Jim Smith phones Bez when he's outside and said, how did it go? He said, I failed the medical gaffer. Oh, he said. He said, anyway, don't worry. He said, um, Newcastle, won't you? Kevin Keegan, get up there to St. James's Park. And so Bez said, Bez phoned KK and said, Gaffer, you do realise I've just failed a medical year at Liverpool and you, you want to sign me? And KK said to him, he said, listen, pal, he said, Paul Bracewell passed our medical and he only had one leg. So if he passed the medical, you'll dolly it. And if you remember, Bracewell had been cutting off by Billy Whitehurst at St. James's Park when he was with Everton, never played for England again. But uh, and, and he got through his medical because... They, they passed him fit, everything boys knee. So if he finished his career at Newcastle with a knee injury, they didn't get any insurance, but as long as it wasn't an injury, they did. And Bez was laughing. He said, if Brace can pass a medical, you've got no problem. And up he come. But what he learned very quickly, Bez, is that you don't cut across KK. KK is the most likable man in the world, but if you cross him, he's a bad enemy. And uh, you might remember that we played Villa up here, and Ginola used to play in front of Bez, and I used to always say to Bez, I'm certain when you signed for Newcastle, you know, that you were six foot three, and that you only become three foot six by playing behind Ginola, who, of course, never tracked back. I mean, it was beyond it. He stood on the line with a blow dryer, Doing, doing his hair, waiting for Newcastle to get the ball and pass it back to him. So this particular day, they, the, the Villa had a, a very attacking right-back who was flying down the wing. Ginola was perming his hair, waiting for the ball to come back to him, and never did. And Bez, when the ball went out of play, sort of said to, to Keegan, hey, I can't, am I supposed to stop this? This is like the, the martyr coming, like, you know, down our side. And he, he actually swore, and he admits he swore at KK, fatal. KK, there's only a quarter of an hour of the game gone. The, suddenly, Bez says, I look out the corner of my eye, and Robbie Elliott's warming up down the track, and he thought, oh, no, no, Robbie Elliott. He said, and within a minute, my number's up. And I'm off. There's only 15 minutes gone, and he's sub because he'd opened his mouth to have it to swear at KK. He said, "I come off absolutely decimated." He said, "I'm thinking the whole game about what happens." And he said, "I said to Arthur Cox, who was the number two, he said, Arthur, what do I do? What do I do? Because I've, I've blown it with a gaffer. What do I do?" And he said, "I tell you what, you do. You go into the." the manager's office now and you beg preferably on your knees and then you go home and pray that they get the prayer mat out that he's going to forgive you he said I went and do, did that prayer and he said don't be don't be silly he said to Bez get up there's no need to grovel you're perfectly alright don't worry about it all forgotten heat of the day he said and for the next three months never spoke to me never played me he said I learned my lesson from then on don't take on KK unless you want to finish second best. You mentioned how Bez is a great character. I know he does 
Uh, he hosts the match day dinners before the yeah. game up in James yeah. Park. I'm sure he will do post lockdown. Comparison to, to David Craig, we spoke to him at a Affairs Cup dinner last year. Yep. And he, he was kind of like, why, why do you want to speak to me? He, he kind of, he's he, not embarrassed is the wrong word, but he, he doesn't, I, I don't think he quite understands or he, he quite feels like he should be held in such high regard. Bearing in mind, you know, he did have, he was here from 1962 to 78, 412 appearances. He's in the top 10 list for the club's record appearance holders. And he would um, have had a heck of a lot more, but for his for injuries. And yet, He's very humble and he doesn't quite understand why, you know, people still talk about him and that team today. And I think that is, it's quite something because you do need to usually be a character like Bez or like Warren Barton, someone who can hold a room, someone who yeah. Can, yeah. can handle what it means that's to play for Newcastle. That's not David. And he's a one club man, as you know. Uh, he's continued to, although he came to us from Ireland as a very young boy, he's continued to live here. He is embarrassed. He doesn't quite understand the fuss. Uh, he believes that there's so many other bigger players than him. And yet, by the way, you talk to anybody that played in the sides with David Craig and they'll tell you how good David Craig was. There's absolutely no question about that. He doesn't want to do public appearances, not because he's snooty, or, uh, but because... He's not a talker. He's not certain what he wants to say. You can ask him a question, bless him, and he'll just say, um, you know, you could say, well, how did you enjoy playing the first cup? Oh, it was terrific. Very quiet. And that's the end of that, yeah. Whereas if you can ask Clarky <laughs> or, or Monks, then you can go out and have a fag and come back and they'll still be telling you. Um, he, he's a different character, but... He was a wonderful, wonderful player and he balanced well with Clark because mm. if there was a winger that was going to rip the backside out of Newcastle, Clark, he would take care of him defensively and if we needed an out from the back, then that would be provided by Craig and Craig and Clark are like fish and chips, sand and deck, Morkman wise, they go together. Mm, I mean, no bigger kind of uh, achievement than getting signed by Cluffy, I guess, and winning the European Cup when you when which is what happened to Clarkie, yeah, Yes, since you told your career was over, and that's when you were too old for new contract in Newcastle. No, and no question. I mean, Newcastle went through a situation at that time where they got rid in one fell swoop of, of Joe Harvey and Frank Clark. Well done, them. Um, Joe Harvey's still the most successful manager we've had in terms of trophies, and Frank Clark just went on and won the first division championship and the European Cup at Nottingham Forest when he was supposed to be. Finished. Um, so I think both of them have, have had an answer out of that. Into the, the central defence then. Mm. We've gone for, well, you've gone for Philip Barbet and Bob Moncur. Now, the first thing people would say with that is, how can I have Moncur to go with Craig and Clark when there's only two from an era because they played in the same teams? But I've cheated without cheating. And Craig and Clark are my 60s pairings. And Monker, I've got in the 70s because, of course, he played in the 70s and famously captained Newcastle United in the 1974 FA Cup final. So that's how I got him. And I've got uh, Philip Albert from the 90s. Um, this was an interesting situation where I was talking to you earlier, Andrew, about only two from a, a decade um, because Albert would have been pushed very, very strongly indeed by Frank Brennan uh, and possibly missed out 
to Frank Brennan as the centre-half, but there's no way I couldn't play Melbourne and Mitchell in the greatest ever Newcastle side. I mean, that's how we won the FA Cup three times in five years, and we haven't won domestic trophies since, by the way. But you cannot ignore them too in the whole history of Newcastle. So Big Frank, who was an absolute character, hard as nails. I mean, when... When Newcastle used to play a cricket match every summer against the local cricket teams like Lintz and Wrighton and everyone, and Newcastle put out the side. And Frank Brennan used to, used to play in that side. And uh, one day he's, he's running between the wickets and the fielder throws the, the ball in towards the wicketkeeper to try to get him out. Doesn't throw it in correctly and it's coming straight towards Frank. And he knocked it down with his head. Cricket ball, and he knocks it down with his head, bursts out laughing and carries on. And that he was known as the Rock of Gibraltar, hard as nails. Jackie Milburn told me when they turned up after they won the cup, they went on tour to um, South Africa and they turned up at the airport with all sorts of luggage for the trip. He had a toothbrush in the top of his Newcastle United blazer pocket and that was all he took with him a toothbrush on the whole trip he was presented halfway on the trip with a Zulu uh, big spear and he carried that with him wherever he went throughout the, the, the trip in South Africa he was an amazing amazing character and we've told the story many times and there's no need to talk it here but he went from being Newcastle United centre half and winning the cup the rock of Gibraltar a Scottish international to go into No Shields non-league and with respect to No Shields and I have an awful lot of respect for them I was with Gator as a non-league club for a player to go from the top of the old first division in a non-league not a smaller club in the league was stupendous and it was all because he had the audacity to open a, a sports shop in competition to the chairman and Mr Newcastle United at the time Stan Seymour now you mentioned they're hard as nails I mean Philip Albert also wasn't afraid of a bit of a rumble there's that famous picture with uh, Janino in the game against Middlesbrough which I think stands out but he was just he was a centre back but he could quite easily have played as your attacking midfielder your centre midfielder someone who yep. could just drive forward and he couldn't half hit um, a shot everyone remembers the Manchester United chip but you had a goal against City if I'm not mistaken I think he scored two against City and one was a, a long range effort where he just he just went forward the, the seas parted and he, he put it in the top corner a Absolutely. better attacker than defender? In some ways I think he was um, he was a modern day centre half you know he would be wonderful now because now if you look at Man City or you look at Liverpool they like a centre-half who comes out from the back, one of the centre-halves, be it one of two or one of three, who comes out in the back with the ball at his feet and sparks off. Albert could do that. The old-type centre-halves from Frank Brennan to I, including Bob Munker, I, I don't mean they couldn't pass a ball, but they weren't going to step out and play like a midfielder. Um, Albert could do that. And I remember when Albert signed for Newcastle, I said to KK... What have, you, what have you seen in him, Kev? Why, why did he take him? He said, Gibbo, he can defend, he can pass the ball, and he can score goals. I said, well, if he can do those three things, he's definitely worth having. And the, the way we, we got him was interesting because, Terry, we were playing in a pre-season tournament in Glasgow, and Terry Mack took a phone call 
on his mobile from an agent who said, I've got five days to sell Philip Albert and I won't want to sell him into English club. Obviously because his club in Belgium needed the money, etc., etc., And he'd just become hot property. And he said, I want to sell him into a club. Uh, Liverpool were interested, Blackburn were interested. Terry Mack went and saw KK and said, Gaffer, I've just had this phone call about Philip Albert. And as Terry Mack said to me, KK made up his mind about players immediately. He said he once went up to Scotland, uh, KK and Terry Mack, to watch a player. And they're sitting in the stand and this player ran out the tunnel and KK said to him, Terry, anyway, let's go. He's not for us. And he said, wait a minute, he, he, this guy hadn't kicked the ball. He'd run out the tunnel and was kicking in in the goals, waiting for the kickoff. He said, no. He says, he's, the, his body language, the way he runs, his balance is not, uh, he's not for us, let's get away. And they went, and Terry Mack said afterwards, it turned out, yeah, this guy wasn't good enough to play for Newcastle. But he made his mind up that quickly. Terry Mack. He did it when he got rid of Cole. Uh, he was willing to get rid of him because he wanted Gillespie and he knew he was going to go and try to get Ferdinand and eventually Shearer as well. Now, just that summer, ironically, um, KK had been over in America for the World Cup finals doing television work and he'd watched Belgium. He did a couple of Belgium matches and Albert was playing in the Belgium side and he loved what he saw. Comfortable on the ball, come out, gracious, could give it, got his head up, saw players, played them in. He said, and he saw him there and he said, he'll do for us. He's just right for us. Three days later, KK and Terry Mack are standing at Leeds Bradford Airport waiting to meet Albert, who's flown in for talks to Newcastle. Now, the interesting thing, and it's how I got the story, and it's also how Newcastle got the player, was with Philip Albert was a Geordie called Peter Harrison, who I'd known when he played for Gateshead. Not when I was with Gateshead, before that but I used to go across and watch Gateshead and he was sent to half with Gateshead and he got a move to Charleroi in, in Belgium and he played centre half in that team with Philip Albert so it was Philip Albert and Peter Harrison were the two centre halves Albert then went on to a bigger club but Harrison stayed there and Harrison became an agent on the back of the work he did getting Albert to Newcastle and he flew in with Albert to talk and KK said, the minute I said to Philip Albert, who's your mate? And he says, Peter Harrison, this is the guy, he played centre-half with me, Shallow. he used to play for Gateshead and he's a Geordie and he's a Newcastle United fan. KK said, oh, that'll do for me, I've got him straight away. And sure enough, he had. And of course, I got the phone call because I knew Peter and uh, they got the signing and I got the story. So it worked out for everybody. Uh, but... Monks, we've we just done a, a Monk stories. Mm. We've done every Monk story as possible. But his ability to organise, his leadership, his ability to organise was second to none. And amazingly, for a, a sweeper, he scored cup final goals. How do you think Albert would cope in that back line, though? Because he was used to being in a back line where technically there was only one defender, and that was often Darren Peacock. The rest of them would just go up at will. That's quite a defensive 
back four, some would argue. He, would he be, I mean, he'd clearly well, be the most attacking. back four is supposed to be able to defend, you know. That's supposed to be their first job. That That is, these days, is not so much <laughs> the, the way it is anymore. But um, I t- I, Philip Albert, you know, when you know, he's, he's such a strong will guy. He wouldn't care what the rest of the, he'll do his game. And the rest will either fit in or not fit in. And the fact that he would have some freedom to go on upfield. If Newcastle didn't win the Premier League title with the entertainers, perhaps it was because the whole of the back four, like plainly, there was only Darren Peacock that actually thought about defending at all in the back four. And that might have just been how Newcastle didn't win the title. Uh, Monker and Clark would have looked after the back and Philip Albert would have been able to get on his bike that much more often. And certainly if they were playing today, and I'm picking a side they would play today, if the wall in the pump, then his ability to come out of the back would be invaluable to that side. Hmm. On to the midfield then. We'll start with the wingers and you've gone for Bobby Mitchell and Chris Waddle. Yes, yeah. Uh, trickery, uh, ability, uh, you know, second to none really in, in both of them. Um, Waddle... Mitchell, I said, just had to be in the side. Uh, Bobby Mitchell, Bobby Dazzler, left peg. He was our Stanley Matthews, who was the greatest player of the day, knighted, probably the first footballer, I think, to be knighted. Uh, And Mitch was our Stanley Matthews. Uh, He made the goals for Jackie Milburn. He scored a lot himself. He ran the 55 Cup Finals, schooler balls from right to left, schooler to Mitchell, ripped the the heart out of Man City. Uh, He's untouchable and is one of my 50s. Yes, there's somebody like Ginola that you would consider for that position without a shadow of doubt. Um, Chris Waddle, oh, I mean, uh, amazing, because he went from being an ugly duckling to a swan all within his time in Newcastle. When he first came to Newcastle, having played at Taulo in non-league, he looked as if he was carrying a bag of coal on his back. His shoulders were drooping, he was stooped. He had the lot. By the time he left to go to Spurs and Marseille, and, and he was upright, he was elegant, he was an England international. Um, I always remember with the Waddle you know, one of the interesting things I found in a long life in football is when you meet players before they're players, I mean before they're stars. Uh, and I, I used to get invited to go and do a lot of presentations to junior football sides, etc. in the old days. Uh, and sure enough, I went along to Clark Chapman's, which was a work side, uh, with John Connolly, the old Newcastle winger, the Scottish Mm. boy who played for Newcastle, uh, to do presentation to Clark Chapman's. One of the mail presented, each player come up, got got their award, moved on, got a group photograph with us two in the group photograph, job done, talk to the kids, talk to the officials, leave. Probably down nightclub just to be sociable with, uh, keep con company. And... But that was, that was the night. Years later, when I'm talking to Waddler, he produces this photograph, and it's the, the photograph from 
Clark Chapman's. He said, can you remember when? I said, oh, I can't. Uh, I he said, well, look at him. And there was a kid sitting in the front row almost apologising for being alive. The look on his face. And it was the waddler uh, who I'd presented the trophy to him when he was nobody. I did that years later with... Um, with Paul Gascoigne, famously, who was with Red Youth Boys Club. And he showed me the photo later and said, there you are, that was me. Uh, and that was him because that's the summer he had. That's the start he had. I mean, he, he played for Clark Chapman's. He played for Tao Law when we got him. Um, he was a sausage seasoner. Try saying that quickly on a bad day. <laughs> uh, that was that was his job uh, because he wasn't a full. It's amazing to think Waddle and Beardsley, you know, sausage season and Beardsley was a labourer in a local factory. Look at the quality of those two boys in the clubs. Didn't want them when they were kids. Foundation of what was a very good England side later oh, on as well. Totally. I mean, can you Waddle and Beardsley? I went to Paris with both of them for Hennessy Cognac Northeast Player of the Year on separate years and Beardsley won it and Waddle won it and my job was to go over to there and do the stories three days we used to go to the Lido uh, meals on on the Champs-Élysées and it was an awful job but somebody had to do it and I, and I volunteered uh, but that was the quality of people like Waddle and Beardsley who are both in my side um, and he just got better. He used to, when he first played in the Newcastle first team, um, with people like McGarry there, etc. He used to tell me, he used to go down to Marlborough bus station after the game and get on the bus to go home down past Felling, down the, 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 the time, to go home. And he used to be that nervous that he'd be recognised on. He used to buy a pink on the way down from St James's Park, the football pink for young lads like you who probably didn't see. I, I know it's what the a, pink is, don't worry about Yeah, that, yeah, John. I think you got fish and chips in one some night, didn't you? <laughs> but uh, the pink was a wonderful, wonderful paper. Uh, he used to get the pink and sit upstairs in the bus and open it up right across his face so nobody could see who he was and sort of reading it. He says, now, could he have voices saying... That Waddle's a, a canny player, aye, but he's too lightweight. He's scared of his own shadow. And he said, and I was sitting there on the and I had no idea. I mean, can you imagine these days? I mean, now it's a, a Porsche at the door and somebody brings it to the, the, the main entrances in James's Park for you to jump in and, and roar off home. It was the bus along Felon High Street in those, in those days. But he, he'd become the most wonderful player and at the other end of the spectrum, I told you what it was like when I went to Clark Chapman's, at the other end of the spectrum, when he was in his 40s, I, I then owned Gateshead and we went down to Walksop to play Walksop in the uh, conference. And Waddle was playing on the wing and I saw him before the game and I said, listen, you, if you do anything today to hurt my team, I'll be coming looking for you, your reputation not be worth having, laughing. He stood out on the wing, it was soaking wet, it was the middle of the week, absolutely lashing down, under lights. He stood out on the right wing and for 80 minutes did absolutely not. Had his sleeves, his hands up his sleeves, the collar turned up, standing on the wing. For 10 minutes, they got the ball out of him and he ripped the backside out of his. Uh, they scored three goals in that time we lost. I went in the bar after the game 
And our left back, who shall remain nameless, is standing, talking to the waddler, saying what a privilege it was to play against him and could he have his autograph. And I, I, when I got on the bus, I said to the left back, come up here, son, just sit there. If you ever do that again, don't bother coming on the bus, just go straight home because you'll never play for us again. You're not supposed to be grateful for however good this right winger is for ripping the backside out of it, but that's the ability he had. And at 40 odd for 10 minutes, I saw Bobby Mitchell do exactly the same when I was a cub reporter covering Gateshead. Uh, Gateshead were non league, played Dolan, who were in the league. Mitchell played for 10 minutes. Ripped the backside out of Donald, not Donald, we won 4 1. To keep that ability, it's just you can't do it for 90, but you can still do it. A few other names that might have made it onto the wings. I mean, you've got Terry Hibbert, who's obviously one of the, oh. the, the names that stand out. There, there's no question. I mean, there was, there was a pile. If you look, uh, certainly Terry Hibbert would have, would have got in to most sides. Uh, and no doubt Supermac will have something to say to me about Hibby not being in the side because of his contribution to Supermac. But then Supermac isn't in the side. Uh, have, you, have, to- you, have you told him that yet? No, I thought uh, best not. Um, <laughs> but uh, the two I have picked, it would be very difficult to argue against them. Uh, Ginola could well be in that side. I mean, what a wonderful player he was. We only had him fleetingly, but... Um, I remember about his second or third game played Middlesbrough and they doubled up on him. They, they played two left-backs. One on him and one behind him for when he come out the first one and he come out both of them. And they didn't know which way he'd gone or where he was going or what was happening. And he was elegant in the score. Wonderful, wonderful goals. I got very lucky with Ginola because I'd helped John Hall get in at St. James's Park and... In return for that, he said, as my main sponsor, that Newcastle United would come across and play Gates in the preseason friendly at the International Stadium. And they played all the friendlies away from home in those days, so this was going to be their only appearance on St James's Park. And Kevin Keegan come out and announced in the week building up to the game, because normally reserve sides were sent to, to places like Gateshead, that the whole first team would play at Gateshead. Within 12 hours... We sold out the whole stadium at 11,950 with Newcastle tickets because it was the Tyneside debut for Newcastle's two new signings, which just happened to be Ginola and Les Ferdinand. Um, And it was wonderful. Uh, uh, Just a quick story. I remember saying to our lot, this is your wages paid for, for the season, the gate money tonight. So they can score as many as they like if they want to because difference in class is ginormous. Whatever you do, don't injure any of the players because what I need, like a whole nod, is a Newcastle player out for six weeks with an injury because you're reckless. Told them. Within quarter of an hour, Mark Hine, our midfielder, took Ginola off above the stocking tops and I learned for the first time what Gaelic football is really all about because... I couldn't have walked as far as he rolled. <laughs> he rolled about 15 times. All that hair went all over the place. And I thought he was going to be taken home in a body bag. Uh, everyone turned around and looked at me. I was down on the straight down to the manager saying, get him told, get him off. We're having no more tackles like that. He was fine. He played on. And you just look at a player like that and say, 
how on earth? Because he left the, well, the, the French side in very difficult circumstances when he lost the ball and gave it away and they went down and scored. I think that's why he never bothered um, doing any defensive work in the future and Bez become three foot six to fend behind him. But he was a wonderful, wonderful talent, well, privileged to have. Got very upset because Barcelona come in from Newcastle, Kevin Keegan condom into stay and say stay with us we'll win the league we're very close to it stay don't go right Gaffer he said and within by the next halfway through the next season KK had taken to his toes and walked out and it was too late for Ginola to get to Barcelona so he was very disgruntled about that wonderful player but I've got to go Waddle and Mitchell so just a quick note, we're now over on YouTube at the Everything is Black and White podcast. And if you're liking what you're hearing, why not come and see what we're producing? We'd really like you to hit subscribe. We're also over on Instagram at Chronicle NUFC and in the usual place on Twitter and Facebook. We'd really like the likes, the reviews and the subscriptions because without your continued support, we can't get very far. So thanks very much for listening. So into the middle of the park and you've gone for Pierre Beardsley in Gaza. Um, Slightly twisted the, the the decades again, but that's within the within the rules permitted. Let's start with Gaza then, um, a youngster who didn't exactly. I mean, it wasn't the easiest route to the first team. Obviously, Jack Jack Charlton um, gave him a few harsh words, and that seemed to buck his ideas up. And then he then he then he did explode, and he was this marvelous player with the ball. And he's. I mean, we've just lost or arguably the best player. Um, of the 20th century and that is obviously Diego Maradona but Gaza was uh, you know kind of in that bracket where oh, the ball at the feet the, the, you know absolutely quite, quite magical wonderful. watch I mean Jack John's input, input into the making of Gaza was getting him into the office and saying if I see you eating the Mars bar again because that's what Gaza did he ate Mars bars all day long uh, he said if I see you eating the Mars bar again you out this club your feet won't touch now the big thing about Big Jack was he was called Big Jack because he was a, like a giraffe and also he had a voice that, that, that could cut you in half and nobody was going to offend Big Jack and he started to lose that puppy fat that he had Gaza and he sort of blossomed into this quite wonderful, wonderful talent. I mean, to think that at that age where you had Waddle Beards and Gascoigne, all of whom are in my greatest ever side, uh, we had them, three Geordies, all getting picked regularly for England. And what did we do? Appreciate them. Well, no, we didn't appreciate them. We sold them. That was going to be my question. We sold them. The, the frustration that Newcastle didn't build oh, on that? Oh, oh, oh. If you're going to sell, if you can't keep Geordies and build a team around Geordies, you've got no chance, mate, because you might sell a foreigner who's got no particular allegiance to this area. You might sell somebody from the south who might want to return south. But if you sell three Geordies, born and bred up here, come through the youth system, done everything at this club, and they want to leave, and be fair, they wanted to leave because they saw there was no ambition within the club, and they were better than that. They wanted to leave. All we could see was pound notes. We took pound notes. What happened? We were relegated. Yeah. Did you ever have a little word with the, the owners and say, well, like, what are you doing here? Just just show that bit of ambition. Oh, with, without a shadow of doubt. Without a shadow of doubt. The manager's concerned, Willie McFall and Jack John, could hide behind justifiably 
we can't do anything about it. If the board accept money, we can't keep them. Uh, I can't totally accept that because there's got to be some ambition that is not shown perhaps on the training ground or in team selection or the players we buy for these three players to want to leave. I mean, Beardsley couldn't come back quick enough when, when the entertainers were being formed, etc., because he could, albeit it was later in his career, but he could see what Newcastle were trying to do in those days. In in these days, you couldn't see what Newcastle were trying to do. I guess the frustration's even higher as well, considering what had gone before Keegan and everything that had come then, and then the way they spent the money, especially towards the end of the decade when they spent it on the likes of Dave Besson and, uh, and I think John, oh. John Henry came in. And it, just, and it was just... Not necessarily Andy bad Thornes players, but it, it, it just wasn't spent wisely. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um... But you knew, didn't you? It's like fans these days, they see a pattern. They know what's happening. You know, if you sell within 18 months three players of the quality we are talking about, who would all won England caps and were going to get so much better. This was them at the start of their sublime uh, careers. And you sell them. You deserve to go down. Not only do you deserve to, but you're going to. It's inevitable. And I mean... Gascoigne was like a breath of fresh air. He was the last one to be sold. He was younger than Waddle or Beardsley. He was like a breath of fresh air. Um, I got, you know, it was Bobby Robson, who later become manager of Newcastle, who called him daft as a bush when he was in the England side, Gazza with him. And um, we used to do a, a lot of talk-ins around the area. He was a kid, he was a teenager, eh? capable of doing talk-ins and running the show on stage. I mean, he, he, he didn't know what he was going to do next. He was infectious. The crowd loved him. He saw, we were up in Pontealand in the social club. He saw a, a, a piano standing, in, an organ standing in the corner. Suddenly he walks across, flips a lid up and starts playing Great Balls of Fire, etc. in the middle of the talking. He was people warmed to him mm. because he was just a he, class guy he just loved playing football as well he was, totally. that's, that was what it was at heart he just loved the ball yeah. at his feet and just playing playing football yeah yeah I mean you know you had that famous occasion remember the very famous photograph of Vinnie Jones grabbing him by the unmentionables when we played down at, uh, at Wimbledon and um, it was Vinnie Jones way of putting the fear of God because they knew they had to stop Gascoigne and they didn't they couldn't stop him through legitimate means because he was a, a better player than all their team put together so they stopped him in, in the only way they could I mean Vinnie Jones was saying to him when he went to take a throw in don't go away son I'll be back in five seconds and all he did was stand on 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 uh, Gaza's toes the whole game and at the end of the game this very famous photograph that won the, the snap of the year um was a wonderful thing because uh, Gaza being Gaza sent um, Vinnie Jones one red rose with a little message attached to it saying I didn't know you loved me as much as you did darling <laughs> and they become very close friends and we used to go fishing together etc etc Just finally on Gaza do you think he made the right move going to Spurs obviously Manchester United were in and people always have that debate had he gone to, to Sir Alex it would have it would have gone a lot better his career would have reached the heights many expected it to I think that there's an awful lot to be said by that um, Ferguson handled Giggs magnificently Giggs could have become the next George Best and I'm not talking on the field because that's who he was compared to on the field hmm. but he, off the field he could have become the next George Best and it was Ferguson had made certain that didn't happen uh, also Manchester's a better city 
in London if you're at all wayward um, and, and uh, Gaza was wayward he just loved the high life uh, in fairness to him Venables was a wonderful manager for him because Venables adored quality players he loved to attack he was a magnificent tactician he was possibly over kind to him in the way that um, Matt Busby was over kind to George Best where you needed a bit more of the discipline Ferguson would have come out with um, yes I think it, it might have benefited him to go to Man U uh, but he went to Spurs got a very very bad injury as we know in semi-final of the cup mm. uh, he was already going to Lazio and I went out and stayed with him in Lazio um, in Rome when he was playing for Lazio for three days that turned into five days and seemed like 10 days um, and had a wonderful time with him he drove his Harley Davidson he was in big Harley Davidson bikes and he drove them to training every day and even Lazio by now knew he was a, a few slates short of a full roof and they said you can't drive your Harley Davidson far too dangerous you're recovering from very bad injury he said that's okay I won't drive it gets on it puts a, a German World War II tin hat on drives his bike I'm in a 4 by 4 behind him with his dad drive all the way through the traffic in Rome park up at a garage sticks his bike puts his tin hat on the, on the bike jumps in the back of our car goes around the corner trains does the same on the way home on the way home through all the traffic gets down to his house he's got electronic gates presses him on his Harley Davidson to open flies up the drive drives straight through the French doors which he's left open parks a Harley Davidson on a sheepskin rug in front of the fire and switches DVD of Elvis Presley on sits in the armchair watching Elvis Presley with his World War II German tin hat on that was Gaza and he didn't think anything was any different he was as daft as a bush but I mean this was the guy bless him if you remember Raoul Moat when he turned up at the mm. Raoul Moat thing with half a chicken a few cans and a fishing rod because we'll be able to fish and I knew him when he was on the doors uh, daft is a bush but the heart of the size of a frying pan and he would look after everybody financially. He really would. With any whispers of him coming back during the, the mid-90s, obviously he went to Lazio, then he ended up Rangers, Middlesbrough, Everton. And any chance of him coming back during, during that, that period, do you think? No, no, I, I, I really don't. Um, Beardsley was the one to come back, as you know. Uh, I don't, Waddle didn't look to come back. Um, Gaza for a long while, you know, bless him, after Lazio was on a slippery slope. Um, the drinks and the demons were beginning to take effect. Uh, it was known on the on the grapevine that they were beginning to take effect. Uh, the same has happened to George hmm. George Best, and so it wasn't the time uh, to bring him back. Um, but the wonderful thing is, you know, if you saw Gaza at his best that's the memories and that's what you should keep in your mind and in your heart because he was quite exceptional forget what's happened to 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 Gaza now like you said about Maradona remember Maradona the great player that captivated people with Argentina and with Napoli and with Barcelona don't think of the guy since don't think of Gaza since keep in your eyes the fact that we were privileged to see somebody of that quality and extra privilege that we could call him our own. 
Beardsley then in the middle. I, I assume yeah. you've put Beardsley in the nineties. Is that? Is that? Yeah, I got round them by Waddle is the eighties, Gaza's the eighties, so they're my two. Mitchell's the fifties. I got uh, I got Beardsley for the nineties. Now his second time when he come back. Of course, it seemed there. that with age he just got better. I mean, the ball just stuck to his feet. He came back. Obviously, there's a story that Keegan told a bit of a fib about the age of him to yep. Sir John Hall. Yep, but he just seemed to get better with age and, and as it went on the things he would do with the ball were just amazing was he better do you think in that second spell than the first or are they not really that no, comparable no he was as good <laughs> but he wasn't better you can't get better than what Peter Beardsley was originally there's no such thing as better I think that he was possibly the most talented the most gifted the most all round player taker and maker of goals that Newcastle United have ever had and that's saying something I see he's, he's the best player I've, I've, I've without seen without a shadow of doubt when I saw a few before you because mm. you're just a young whippersnapper and he was better than them too uh, he was absolutely wonderful what he James Milner is him today only in terms James Milner couldn't lace his boots for ability but in terms of looking after himself in terms of being dedicated in terms of living the right way that's what Peter did. That's what Gaza didn't do. And that's why Peter lasted. And when he come back the second time, was as wonderful as he had been the first time. You remember, he had his, his, his championship winning time with Liverpool in between that. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful kid. Can't believe that he was 18 and working as a labourer, um, unable to get a club of any sort mm. uh, until he got Carlisle through Bumunke. You mentioned though, I mean, obviously the age, he was what, he would have, was he 31, 32, 33? So that time he rejoined Newcastle, being that old and being expected to be the best player on the side wasn't really something that was the thing back then. Now it's the given you can be yep. 34, 35 and still turning it on with, with relative ease. But were, you, were you shocked at just how good he was when he came back in, under no, Keegan? no. I was shocked at how good he was when I first saw him <laughs> uh, because he, he, he was just so much better than anything else. Um, I mean, I remember I was the sole judge. How can he have a judging panel with only one judge? But that was me. Uh, they had the Northeast Newcomer of the Year in sport and it wasn't confined to football. It, it, there was a jockey in it. There was a ice skater that was winning medals in it. There was Rob Einmarsh from from um, from Sunderland, and there was Beardsley, and I think Jack Johnson presented the trophy. Uh, Northeast most promising newcomer it was called, and I voted for Beardsley, and Beardsley got it. And it, at that stage, he was playing for Carlisle, and um, I did an interview with him for the Chronicle, of course. And he just, I said, you know, one day would you love to play for Newcastle United? He was a Geordie, for goodness sake, from Long Benton, etc. Et and he says, yeah, it would be absolutely wonderful, etc., etc. Never thought about it straight bat and pad quotes. What would you expect a kid to say that he wants to play for his local town? Of course. Next thing I know, Sunday morning, Gibbo's trying to have a, lock, a lie in in Wickham and there's a knock on the door and I open the door and this fella standing in a cloth cap with, with um, uh, steam coming out his ears and it's Bob Stoker. 
who didn't know where I lived initially. He knew who I was and how to get me on the phone, but he didn't know where I lived, but he'd found out. And on a Sunday morning, he's knocking on my front door, accusing me of tapping his best player to sign for Newcastle United. I said to him, I said, well, well, if you want to come in, Bob, and we'll talk about it, and would you like a chucky egg and some soldiers? And the, the humour went straight over his head about the chucky egg, of course. He, he wasn't in a laughing mood. And that's how volatile he was. He loved Newcastle. He played for Newcastle in the FA Cup final. He knows what Newcastle I mean. I said, look, the kid's going to have ambition. He's that good. Do you think he's going to stay with Carlisle United for the rest of his life? Because if you do, I've got news for you. He... Carlisle aren't big enough for that. Do you think Carlisle are going to grow as much as Peter Bates is going to mm-hmm. grow? And Peter Bates outgrew Newcastle because of their lack of ambition and went on to Liverpool. Um, but uh, and, and Bob was was fine about it from then on. But um, And Bates, he formed this wonderful relationship with Keegan when they were played together, which is why Keegan went and brought him back when Keegan was manager, because they played together. And I mean, Peter Bates used to say that um, KK, who was a self-made player. He wasn't a natural player that Beardsley was. Beardsley was gifted. God had touched him on the shoulder. With Kevin Keegan, he worked hard. He made himself a footballer, the same as Frank Clark did. He made himself a footballer. And, but was seen as the ultimate pro and therefore latched onto this young kid who was, and took him under his wing when they were playing together, Beardsley. And he said, we went and played Man City and you thought this wonderful pro would be a great pro. He didn't drink, didn't smoke, KK. Uh, and he said, we're going into Main Road to play Man City and a Newcastle fan gives KK a big box of toffees. You'd hook, just loved him and, oh, yeah, 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 okay. And he said, he took me, he got chains next to me in the dressing room. He said, and I'm watching him get chains. I'm saying, what's he doing? And he had the whole box of toffees before the kickoff, picked up the ball and ran out as captain with Beardsley behind him. And Beardsley said, I can't believe this. But he said to him after, he said, gives us energy, son, gives us energy. Uh, but they, they went together both as teammates and as manager and, and player. Um, but Beardsley was the real deal ahead of Keegan in terms of God-given ability. Hmm. Any names that Nelly made it into the middle? Obviously, we've got your substitutes bench. Yes. One name does appear on there, Yuan Goodbye. We'll speak about yep. bench at the end of the, the, the first 11. But any other names? I mean, people might mention Rob Lee, Gary Speed. I know it all depends on the decades and the choices you've yeah, got. Yeah, that, that was, that was the, the problem. But you, you, would, you would go for all those people. I mean, we've been very blessed. You would go for Tony Green, who only played 20 odd games for Newcastle, but you would, you would look at him for the centre of midfield. Um, the entertainers had so many good players that could play in there. Rob Lee would deserve a place, or if he got a place on any side, nobody could object. If Gary Speed got a, a place on any side, nobody could object. As you had said, if Solano got one of the wide places, nobody. We have been blessed over the years, but you've got to go with who you see as quality. And if there was, there's not many better players that played for England than Gascoigne and Beardsley. Mm. Never mind played for Newcastle United. So it's very difficult for me to look beyond those two. On to the front two then. I don't think there'll be any surprise when you no. give out the names. I'll let you announce your, your no. forward line. No. Um, my first guy come from the noughties, the 2000s, which is Mr. and Shearer, and wore Jackie from the 50s. Now, straight away before 
somebody says anything, and especially my old mate Malcolm, Malcolm MacDonald, is, I'm sorry, I've got a deal in facts here, and if you look in the record books, the greatest two goal scorers in the history of Newcastle United is one Alan Shearer and two Warjacky. Uh, I've got Super Mac on the subs bench. I thought of going with three forwards and playing Super Mac with Shearer and allowing Milburn to play wide because at Newcastle United, before he become the legendary number nine, he did play it outside right for Newcastle. Mm. So you could fiddle the team that way. But then I'm going to have to leave out one of the other guys. And I don't think you can look beyond what Shearer and Milburn has, have done for Newcastle United. Their record is just untouchable. The only sadness I've got is that at least Wojcicki won the FA Cup three times in five years and had those three medals to show what he was worth and Alan Shearer didn't have one medal with Newcastle United. Now, obviously, sadly, Milburn passed away, I think it was 1988, 89. Um, yeah. So he never obviously got a CC, Alan Shearer, even at Southampton, let alone do no. what he did at Blackburn and Newcastle. No. Did Milburn ever think that his record would be broken? I think he always hoped because he, he always put Newcastle United before himself, you know. He, he's the most unselfish. And you talk about David Craig being embarrassed about um, or even confused about what he... This was War Jackie, the greatest legend there has ever been until Shiva come along. And he was completely modest is a guy and I think he looked for somebody to do that he always said that he was helped when he was a player starting out at Newcastle he was helped by Huey Gallagher who used to stand outside St James's Park waiting for Jackie to come pull him to one side you know you're the greatest son you just keep doing but you know you play with just turn that little shoulder that shoulder a little bit when you're receiving the ball etc etc he said and I always remember that and when he become after he'd been a superstar he used to stand outside the same entrance waiting for Super Mac to come and, and do mind you didn't have to tell Supermac what a good <laughs> player he was because he knew what a good player he was he was the he was John Wayne but but he he gave him so much advice so much encouragement took him round to look for houses when he come up as a 21 year old um, from Luton and I was already married with a family helped him to get his house etc etc I mean I wrote a lot of books with with Jackie uh one of the most wounded, they'd always say don't meet your hero because you, when you've been a kid because you see them through rose-tinted glasses and what you get is the reality warts and all. There was no warts with Jackie. I met Jackie and he was just absolutely terrific. Uh, the shock, we knew he had cancer when he died. He was a big smoker in his time. He'd given up smoking, I think, but he'd been a big smoker. Smoked in the dressing room in the three cup finals at half-time. Um, and he was going to die of cancer. He had cancer. He was battling cancer. Now I went away on holiday and I was sitting having a coffee one morning in a restaurant and I, the guy in the booth in front of me had an English paper and I saw the paper open, looked over his shoulder and it said, Whoa, Jackie dies. And I was absolutely decimated. And I was unable to get home for the funeral, missed the funeral, which absolutely knocked my end in. But... His wife, his good lady, invited me up to 
speak at a memorial service, special memorial service national on his behalf when I went when I returned because I'd worked on him on, with her on his famous This Is Your Life programme, mm. which we needn't go into, I've talked about before, uh, which happened up here. Um, and, you know, he talked... He, you look, he's remembered as almost a goody two-shoes because he was a, a wonderful, wonderful man as well as a wonderful player. But he had that streak. He told me when I was writing the books when he said, Gibbo, way back just after the, the, the Second World War, he became a fitter in Hazelwig Colwy. He playing for Newcastle, but he was a fitter in Hazelwig Colwy. Newcastle signed Len Shackleton from Bradford for 13,000, big money in those days. And Shack was immediately put into the pits to work as Jackie's labourer in the pits. So Hazelwig Colwy had Jackie Milburn and Len Shackleton, two of the great, great players of their era, working at the pits for them. And... Um, Jackie said I had a motorbike in those days which were banned at St James's Park because it was seen as far too dangerous. But the, he used to get on the motorbike and Shaq got on the back and used to travel down from the pit every Tuesday and Thursday for training at St James's Park on the motorbike. He used to stash it round the, the back of the ground, a bit like Gaza in his car in Rome, and go round and uh, go training. Um, you're not going to get better than, than Shearer and Milburn. And that's saying something when you've got Supermac uh, competing for that position. And that's why he had to become my sub ahead of... Hughie Gallagher hasn't come into this because he played in the 20s. Uh, and there's nobody living, I think, that's now that saw Hughie play. His record was phenomenal and he would have had it come into things. Uh, there was Wynn Davies, there was Len White, um, as well as these. But for me, once you've gone Shearer and Melbourne, you've got to go Supermac as your backup. Because what would Shearer, Melbourne or Supermac be worth to Newcastle United today? Scary. We're talking today about whether a player can get in the number nine shirt, can get into double figures for the season. These fellas scored between 20 and 30 goals season after season after season. How alike were they in terms of style on the pitch? Those Supermac and Melbourne were very alike in terms of blisteringly quick. I mean, excessively quick for the era. Uh, nobody was faster than those two so they were like in that way uh, Shearer didn't have pace particularly he wasn't slow but he didn't have pace uh, but his all round play he was a British bulldog the last of the British bulldog centre forwards and I think as an all rounder because Milburn wasn't great in the air, he would tell you he always had five bosses and that was why he didn't jump well. He wasn't good in the air. Supermac was good in the air. Shearer was sensational in the air. I think Shearer, all round number nine play, was best. Um, but Supermac and Milburn were so quick that they absolutely terrified people. Now... Obviously, Shearer had that falling out with Ruud Hullet. You know, he, 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 yeah. his face told the picture. He didn't hide from it. You know, he doesn't hide from when he's when he's angry, even today when it comes to Newcastle. Milburn wasn't in that starting eleven for the FA Cup final. Um, obviously, we all know the story. Um, the team sheet was scrumbled up. Milburn was put into the side, and then obviously scores fantastic goal. What did he What did he make of that? Because that's a big, you know. 
two fingers up to the to the original section. Absolutely. The staggering <coughs> the staggering thing is, Andrew, when you when you look at the quality of Shaver, Milburn and Supermac, you wouldn't you would think that any manager would be so grateful to have them in your side that you'd mollycoddle them and be accused, if you like, of uh, showing preferential treatment to them rather than other players. Yet Shearer fell out with Wood Hullet, Milburn fell out with Doug Livingstone, and Supermac fell out with Gordon Lee, all at Newcastle. And you just cannot believe that, can you? I mean, Doug Livingstone um, come into Newcastle and wanted to totally change the team. He, he'd, he'd coached abroad, I think it was Sweden or whatever, and Jackie Milburn told me the story. Jackie was never part of his clique, and he, he had a clique in the same way as Gordon Lee had a clique, and Supermark was never part of it. But Milburn said, the day I saw him pull Bobby Mitchell in training, who's the greatest delivery of the ball that Milburn had ever seen, and that included Stanley Matthews, and tell him to pull his left boot out and put a chalk mark on Mitchell's left boot and said, that's where I want to see you strike the ball, etc., etc. Telling Mitchell, who was had already won two cups in 51-52 for Newcastle, that this is what he wanted him to do. He said, Milburn said, when the minute I saw that, I thought, oh dear, oh dear. And of course, Stan Seymour, who had managed Newcastle, signed Milburn is a... Is a from the pits and signed everybody that was in that cup side for some reason wasn't manager for 55 and had given it up to Livingston got this team sheet he just went <laughs> in the bin put Milburn back in changed the team 42 seconds Milburn scores a header which is not what he could do fastest goal at Wembley for years uh, fastest goal at the time and it stood for years uh, vindicated everything and shortly after that Doug Livingston was sacked of course would he have kicked off do you think if Seymour hadn't have changed the side or would he just put Newcastle first and said right it's all about, about the club winning this cup and then and then the fallout would come Oh, I mean, it would have kicked off with the players before the final That's because the players were very, very strong team together. They'd won the, the Cup twice already in the 50s. They were up for, for the third time in five years. They had seen the team, the basis of the team was all round Milburn and Mitchell. Um, Harvey, who had skipped the side in the first two Cup finals, was first team coach for this one, and he kept the peace between the senior pros like Mitchell and Milburn, who fell out greatly with the manager, and the overall situation. He was the peacemaker. But when that team was announced, I think Joe just said, let's stand Seymour say that. Let's stand Seymour say it would be taken care of. Um, all, all he did was, you know, as we say, Rudd Hullett, when he sent his team sheet out to play Sunderland and Alan Shearer was on the bench, uh, I called it the, the biggest suicide note I'd ever seen written. And I think the same applied to Dougal Livingstone when he wrote out and presented on the Thursday the East Cup final team to play Man City. That was a suicide note. The amazing thing is, it wasn't with Gordon Lee. He was allowed to sell Hebbard and was allowed to sell Supermac. But then, instead of saying and seeing the job through, which is what he should have done, having got rid of two huge stars like that, he took to his toes himself. 
herself, which was unforgivable. She obviously record goal scorer, Tindra, and, and six goals. I mean, he very nearly retired and didn't get that. Obviously, I'd be persuaded <laughs> to stay on by Graham Souness, like Kenny Daglish, probably one of the few things you know we can thank Souness for. Mm. Um, obviously, um, and a good goal in the end against Portsmouth, knocked on through by Amiobi in a, a nice little uh, sliding shot past the keeper brilliant scenes you know the, the reaction what goal for you if I was going to ask which I am going to ask you of Shiraz stands out which is the one that you say that is his best well I mean there's, there's ones that stood out for the occasion yeah like the two semi-final victories in 98 and 99 when he got mm. the winning goal for the occasion it's got you to hey, win I mean that's, that's, that's that one against Spurs is still an absolute crack of an oh, effort isn't it? no question but when you add, add in the occasion mm. and and seeing them standing with their hands up in the air with the crowd you know for the occasion they were sensational but it's got to be evident that the Gallagher end for me, the, the the volley when he caught it on the on the flush on right in the top corner. I mean that was sheer quality. Now good goal scorers don't do flamboyant goals, and mm. um, good players do flamboyant goals when they only score occasionally. Good finishers like Shearer, like Jimmy Greaves, often. They're close in. They can be in the six-yard box, certainly 12 yards. Finish, finish, finish. Like going in a back lane full of flick knives. They go in. You notice Joe Linton doesn't do that too much, right? Uh, so, um, you know, the real goal scorers, Jimmy Greaves, Alan Shearer, uh, Gary Lineker, they go there. But this one against Everton was just everything about it was I'm gonna, sweet I'm going to disagree with you my favourite one is Chelsea backs into Desai he must be 30 40 yards out backs in he's strong turns shot into the top corner well is there only four goals that Alan Shearer scored that we could talk about no I mean, is, I mean no no could, what I mean by that is that he scored so many that everybody's going to have a different fa- oh, exactly. f- uh, favourite to everyone else that's the beauty of it um, it's, it is the beauty of it but he wasn't and this is the ultimate compliment from me, is meant as the ultimate compliment. He wasn't the scorer of sensational goals. Mm. He was the scorer of regular goals. He was a scorer of important goals. And that is what the team's about. You can get somebody that will sashay past three, four, five defenders and stick it in the back of the net, but he mightn't score again for another 14 months. This fella just scored and scored and scored until it almost got boring, but it never got boring for a jury. Who takes the penalties on that side? Great question. Great question. Um, oh, Shearer, uh, without a shadow of doubt. Milburn could take penalties. Mitchell could take penalties. Beardsley. Uh, Beardsley took a few, didn't he? Beardsley would, 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 would take a couple, but uh, hey. If you want the ball in the back of the net, just go to Shearer. Who 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 leads it? Who's captain? Monker. Uh, Shearer could be, but if if he's going to be the centre forward, it's going to score the goals and takes the penalties. Don't get greedy. Monker's captain aside, you just run out and do the business at the shop end. Now on the substitutes bench because obviously every team yep. has a bad day every now and then. You've yep. picked three or injuries or injuries. You've picked three. 
yep. again, large probably based on the decades and, and then the constraints of them rules. But your three, as we've mentioned, are Malcolm McDonald, Yoan Kabai, and Demba Bar. So let's let's start with Demba Bar. Yeah, um, obviously the, the, re- the reason for that is is because of the eras, of course. Yeah. Um, Super Mac, I was surprised in the seventies. I ended up only Moncurf in the 70s. Mm. So I was able to bring in Superman and wasn't that pleased about that. I had to do 2010s because that's one of the eras. And quite frankly, they are number 12 and number 13. Uh, but two players had to come from there and I thought they were the best two players. Um, I've always loved forwards because I'm a romantic about football. I think football's a game of entertainment. It is meant to entertain us. It's meant to give us joy. I never got entertained seeing an old, an old draw and come away being thankful. I like to see goals and them be for my side. So there's two centre forwards of the three subs and Kabai was a forward type player. Um, Bar was interesting. I mean, I think he was better than Cissé. I think he was a better all-round player than Cissé. Cissé was a finisher who, when he first come, was so sensational in not only the goals he scored, but the type of goals, like at Chelsea, we thought, what have we got on our hands here? Um, his form levelled out a little bit after that. Um, and to me, he was just a finisher, just a finisher. Jimmy Greaves was just a finisher. What a wonderful thing to be, just a finisher. But Barr had a greater all-round mm. game um, than, than Sissy, and it's all a matter of opinion. Um and really, my memories of both him and Kabai can be summed up almost in one game, which was a very special game for me personally, uh, and it involved both of them very heavily. It, it took place on January the 4th, 2012, and while the date is so important, as far as I'm concerned, is that that happens to be my birthday, January the 4th. So, first of all, I'm at St. James's Park because it's my birthday. We're playing Manchester United. And this isn't Manchester United of today. This is the Manchester United. This is Ferguson. This is Rooney. This is Giggs. This is Rio Ferdinand. This is Carrick. This is the proper Manchester United. We are playing them at home on my birthday. So, that's great. Instead of being in the press box... Some guys wanted to give us a little bit of a special night out because it was a birthday, so I was in one of the private boxes. Just to be polite, of course. Just to be, and I thought I would turn up because it's impolite to turn it down, of course. So I had a little glass of white wine sitting in his private box. First half, we're one, one nil up. Lovely. Gets to half time. Door bursts open. And who should walk in? The first thing I see is this huge birthday cake with seven candles on it, all lit, uh, which was um, a bit, you know, Ooh, what's this? And then the, uh, it dawns on me, the face behind it, it's Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer is bringing me a birthday cake at half time into the box singing happy birthday to you. Now, when he sang that, I thought, it's just as well you're such a good centre forward because you're a bloody awful singer. <laughs> but you can imagine for me, one of my great heroes, one of my great friends, to bring your cake in on your 70th birthday. You're playing Manchester United. I had a little bit joke, we're one nil up. Perhaps this has come up at the right time because it'll be all downhill from now on. We win 3-0. We win 3-0. Now, if you can ask for a better birthday 
than that. I had my cake, ate it, and saw Newcastle win 3 0. And the wonderful thing about that was that on the first goal, because we're coming back to Kabayan Bar, on the first goal, Cruel kicks the ball long. Shola goes up with Phil Jones, the, the, the centre half, who was an England player. Shola played terrific with Bar up front, and, and Kabai played terrific in the middle of the park. Shola goes up, flicks the ball on with his head. Bar, 12 yards out, catches it on his right foot, stunning shot, ripped the top of the net off. Bar scored, we're winning 1 0. Within two minutes of me putting the cake down and thinking I'll have the rest of that at the full-time whistle. And going back within two minutes to start the second half, bars chopped down by Jones. 30 yards out, free kick, okay, that's the end of that. Kabai stands over it and rifles it into the net. So, bars got the first goal, Bars got the free kick for the second, Kabai scored it, and then on 90 minutes, Jones, who by now doesn't know where he's coming left, right, centre or, or disappearing up his own backside, puts in his own net and it's 3-0. A wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. Shearer, birthday cake, Man United, 3-0, Bar, Kabai, two stars. They're oh, in my team, even if it's just for the birthday. Kabai, wonderful, wonderful player, will be remembered, apart from my personal memory, for scoring the goal of Manchester United when we won, which was the first time in Yonks we won a Man U. Actually, the first time since Newcastle with Supermax under forward won at Manchester United against Low Best and Charlton one week after getting knocked out the cup by a non-league side, Everford. That's the only other time we won a Manchester United. Kabai scored the goal. Uh, most people nationally remember Barr for scoring the goal that stopped, or was supposed to stop, Liverpool win the title when yeah. Gerrard slipped and Barr went through and put in. Barr scored again this year, didn't he, against Man U? Yeah. Um, good, good player. Definitely. Good player, I mean, underrated by some people. Uh, certainly the best two players for me for 2010, I would go with Cabine Barr. There's a case for Colicini, mm. uh, et cetera, et cetera, but I like attackers. I'll go for them too. 54 appearances, 29 goals. So that has a decent record Not bad, for Barr. And obviously we all know about Supermark 121 oh. goals. I look forward to you telling them though that he's not made your starting 11. That should be an interesting conversation. Well, yes, yeah. I think he might be slightly disappointed, but when I, when I tell him that he, because he always had this wonderful expression whenever he was criticised at Newcastle and he was under Gordon Lee for not tracking back, you know, and he mm. would say, I'm not, I don't track back, I stay on the halfway line and when the ball's cleared, I go and score in the right goal, I don't track back and I'm defensive. He used to always say, when anybody challenged him, put your goals on the table. So when he says to me, you didn't pick me in the side, I said, well, you know about putting the goals on the table? Well, Shearer and Milburn have just put their goals on the table and that's why they're selected. So but, my you, but you can be first sub <laughs> some might say Hatton Ben Arthur would sneak in before goodbye or no on ability a great ability but on what he did I'm furious about him hmm. he wasted his talent he should have been one of the great players and he'll retire and he'll remember that you know he'll retire and he'll say I should have been better than I was he scored one of the twice one of those goals I was talking about where you run from the halfway line mm. beat six men sticking in the top corner. But he hadn't the goal scoring record to shave it. 
definitely not. Well, um, he didn't do that. That's why I mean, Shearer didn't do that. He just scored and scored and scored and scored. Any players from today's squad that won the outskirts? Behave yourself. <laughs> I want you to behave yourself. Uh, the goalkeepers, Dubovic and Dollar, have done well. They they will be lucky to lace Shea Givens' boots at, at the end of this day with Newcastle United. Sam Maximum on a great day can look a good player. I'll tell you what he isn't, consistent. Hmm. And I'll tell you what Mitchell and Waddle were, consistent. Uh, and the rest of them, they wouldn't have got a Newcastle reserve side. There we have it. Before we get John to go through his team and the decades, we haven't picked the manager. And what I thought I'd do is this episode will go out. We'll let you guys listen to it. And then what we'll do, we'll open it up to you guys to pick the manager from the decade so 50s all the way up to present day I don't think Steve Bruce will win that vote however he will be on it um, and then yeah we'll announce the winner and John I, look, I mean I look forward to hearing that yeah. it would be super to hear I, who the fans would like to manage that side I imagine there's there's probably three names there's three which I'm not going to mention now but there's three that I would consider yeah. and there's only three I would consider and I guess you guys listening will be able to guess just who that is but we'll put every name out that includes the likes of Allardyce and Glenn Roder just in case you're, you're not going to put uh, Joe Kinnear and Steve McLaren are you? They, were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they will be on the list yes I mean I don't imagine they'll get but 1% if, the manager, if, if it's to find a manager for Gibbo's side I wouldn't let them in the front <laughs> Ooh, never mind manage my side but that's the beauty of a democracy John it is but they ain't going to get the votes, baby. You wait and see. <laughs> Let's go through the starting 11 then. We'll start with Shea Given. Yep. Shea, Shea Given in goal from the 2000s. Uh, stands supreme, head and shoulders above anyone else. Back four, Craig, Philip Albert, Monker and Clark. Um, three of them played regularly in the same side Craig Monker and Clark Newcastle had a wonderful defence in those days Philip Albert you could watch him play all day uh, he could have played anywhere in any side if you can beat a better midfield three than, than Waddle Gascoigne and Beardsley all of whom were super England internationals all of whom are Geordies and all of whom were sold by Newcastle United typical of our club and then Mitchell the outside left if if you're a young lad ask your dad after you ask your dad about Mitchell you won't need me to explain forwards quite simple the greatest two forwards Newcastle United have ever had the greatest goal scorers in Newcastle United's history the icing on the cake the blue eyed boys these are the guys that matter these are the guys that entertain these are the guys that send you home happy to have a pint Shearer in Milburn nobody did it any better and there we have it what a team as well and made up of plenty of Geordies as well which is a yep. added frustration to what we see today because there's not enough of that happening not enough of them coming through John though a pleasure to sit down and go My through pleasure. your team with you um, any feedback from you guys listening or watching do drop me a message I always do pass them on to John and he's more than happy to, to see the, the nice comments we get yep absolutely and let me know who the manager is because I'm very interested in that <laughs> we certainly will do and also if you have any idea for the next episode of Gibbo's Corner please do let us know we'll do a Christmas special which will go out on Christmas Day we'll record that next month but we always like your suggestions and ideas mm. in the meantime keep safe thanks for tuning in thanks a lot guys 
So just a quick note, we're now over on YouTube at the Everything is Black and White podcast. And if you're liking what you're hearing, why not come and see what we're producing? We'd really like you to hit subscribe. We're also over on Instagram at Chronicle NUFC and in the usual place on Twitter and Facebook. We'd really like the likes, the reviews and the subscriptions because without your continued support, we can't get very far. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you.